be quite honest, I had failed to ask when I was supposed to get up here. So apparently it's now. If you have your Bible, you'll turn with me to the book of Galatians. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we are uh, very glad that you are here. Um, You may not know the names of the people around you. That's okay. I don't either. Uh, This is really kind of my first Sunday, too, and so glad that that you came and glad that you're here, and uh, we, we do hope that you'll come back. Starting today, I want us to look uh, in what to me is, is going to be a very rapid movement through the book of Galatians. Uh, the more that I study this book, the more I find that when Paul was writing it, he must have taken time and concentrated on each and every word. And uh, we want do that. Uh, but we might get kind of close on some of it. The reason I want us to look here, I'm going to turn this thing around a little bit or I'm going to trip and fall. The book of Galatians, in it, Paul is dealing with an issue. He had come to these churches in this region, in the country of what we would now call Turkey, And he had started these churches. But not long after he left, there came in some other teachers and some other preachers, and they began to tell the folks there, you know, what you've got is is pretty good, but you're a little bit short of what you need. Uh, You need a little bit more. And they they wanted to come in and, and add just a little bit more to what Paul had taught. But the problem is what Paul had taught them, the gospel that he had given them, was what they needed. It it was that powerful thing that had come from God that was able to save them from their sin and make them, as the song said, a friend of God. And these teachers and these preachers had come in and begin to give them some other things. What I'm afraid of is in the world in which we live, there are a lot of people who want to come and add just a little bit to what God has told us, or they they want to come in and, and take away just a little bit from what God has told us and what God has called us to. And the problem is there is, as Paul will say in the verses we'll look at this morning, There is no other gospel. There is only one message that has the power to save. And I'm really glad that it's the message that it is. Because if it were any other message, I think you and I would really struggle to ever live up to that other message. See, the great thing about the gospel, the great thing about the message that God has given us in Christ is it's all about Him. It's all about what He has done. It's all about the power that He has demonstrated in sending His Son to die on the cross for us. See, all these other messages, they involve something else. 
They involve you and I striving to be good enough. You and I attempting to get to God by our own ways. We, we see these other messages and they talk about us working our way to God or us being good enough. If we'll just remove certain things from our life that we shouldn't be doing, these other Gospels, if you will, say that's how we get to God. But Paul tells the churches that he writes to in Galatia, it's not how it works. It's all about God. It's all about what He has done in Christ Jesus. And so if you would, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I hope you have a Bible. If, if not, uh, you can follow along on the screen here. And I hope you'll do that as we read from God's Word. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I hope this morning the Lord will add to the reading and hearing of His Word, and you may be seated. Next time I'll make it a point just to tell you to stand. I appreciate that. God has called you and I, if we are His, if we have been saved, if we have been born again, and if we have been justified before Him, if we have been adopted into His family, God has done a miraculous work in our life. The unfortunate thing about it is there are any number of voices around us that are wanting us to think about something different, to think about there being something else that has led to our salvation. We don't have to look very far. There are religious groups that rise up all the time. And what they will do is take a sprinkling of the gospel and they will mix it in with a works-based religious idea. And they will tell us, this is what you have to do to be in good standing with God. Yes, what Jesus did on the cross, all of that's good, but, but you've got to be good enough. You've got to do these things. You've got to follow these ideas. And then, and only then, are you in good standing with God. Paul is going to spend all of Galatians dispelling that. 
he is going to talk about how the gospel has transformed his life and how it transforms our life. We as believers sometimes like to think about the gospel and look at the gospel and we, we think it's that thing that you share with people for them to get saved. You know, if you want to tell someone who's lost about Jesus, you share with them the gospel and that's what happened. As some of our college students found out in a conference we all went to a few weeks ago, the gospel is not only the starting point of the Christian life, but it's what sustains us for the entire Christian life. We don't need, if we want to have a better marriage necessarily, a a 12-step program for better marriages, we need to understand that the gospel shapes our marriages. If we realize who we are before God, and God has called us to treat our spouses in such a manner, it seems to fix the problem without 12 steps. You want to be a better parent, it's not seven principles for taking care of your kids better. It's understanding that we are called as God's children and He loves us and we see how God treats us. That's how we treat our kids. That's the power of the gospel. So I want us to start out as we look, beginning in verses 1 through 5, at what God has done for us. Because this is an amazing thing. It's not just some fluffy story. As we begin to approach Easter, we're we're going to see very clearly what it took for God to give us His grace. And so Paul starts out and he says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. Paul starts out in telling the Galatians what God has done for them and for him. He says, I am an apostle. Now, we don't have apostles in the Baptist church, which is good. That's a good thing. We don't want to have those because they don't exist anymore. An apostle was someone who had witnessed the resurrected Christ. Someone who had seen Jesus after God brought him back from the dead. And he says, listen, I, as an apostle, had that privilege. I saw Christ raised up. I saw what God had done when He raised Him from the dead. God has given you and I the opportunity to experience a relationship with Him. And He has done so through the risen Christ. He says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from our God from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age. He says, God sent Christ to die in your place. The Galatians were hearing this message where they they needed to do this and they needed to do that to be saved. If they were going to be good Christians, they needed to follow Moses' law and they, they needed to Uh, partake in the circumcision. They needed to follow everything to the letter of the law. And and Paul says, "Let's, let's step back for a minute and realize that God has given Christ for us to deliver us from this evil and present age. All we have to do is look around us and we see how dark the world is in which we live. We we see how how dark and terrible things are. We see how how much sin has been lifted up and glorified in our culture. We realize that we live in a dark age. 
And yet, God has sent Christ to deliver us from that darkness. He says there, it's by His will. Not, not ours. It's not a matter of the works that, that we can do to make ourselves right before God. Maybe this morning you might have it in your mind that part of, of you having a better relationship with God, you getting closer to God, is, is by coming to, to church. Now, we, we come to church as a sign of worship of what God has already done in our life. We, we can't write a big enough check and put in the offering plate to get ourselves in better standing with God. You, you can't teach enough classes. You can't come to enough services There's not enough you can do. If you had to get there yourself, the bar is so high, not only could you not get over it, but you could never see it. And so Paul says, but God sent Christ. He gave Himself for our sins according to His will. And He says, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The problem, if you and I ever get to the point where we think we can work our way to God, where we think we can get there through our righteousness, through our works, through our efforts, is we stop giving glory to God forever and ever, and we begin to give it to ourselves. We begin to think that we can work our way to God, that we can get ourselves there, that we can somehow be good enough to meet God's standards. And when we do, we begin to worship ourselves and we stop worshiping God. Paul cautions them about this. So often I think if you and I are reading this book, we would just assume that these first few verses are just his introduction. It's the high and lofty things that Paul says. If you look in every other book, he says these very similar things. He talks about the glory of God. But he's actually reminding them what they have. And if you and I fall into the trap of these false religious ideas, and listen, Baptists can be as guilty of this as anyone else. We've all been in those Baptist churches where all you ever heard from behind this pulpit, though doubtful it was a metal music stand, was, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And listen, most of those things you shouldn't do. There's a reason they're telling you that. But if your faith is built on that, And you're much like the religious leader who who came and stood at the altar and said, God, I've done all these things and I'm glad I'm not like the people who didn't. We have been given grace and mercy and that is something we could not earn and could not find on our own. But what's the trap we fall into? He he lays this out beginning in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished. That you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is shocked. He's shocked because he was the one who came. He was the one who preached the gospel to these people. And they saw 
what the grace of God had done. See, I think there's really two types of people when it comes to this, and I and you fall into one of these two categories. Many of us were saved when we were children, and we, we don't have a lot of thought of the deep, dark sins that we were doing at 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. We often weren't hitting the bars every weekend and chasing girls. If we were, it was on the playground pulling pigtails. It was, we weren't doing things that, that terrible. And then there are others of you here who God miraculously saved at an, old, at, a, at an older age, and you were doing the things you weren't supposed to do. You were doing the things that the guys behind the pulpit that are hitting the pulpit were telling you not to. And God called you out of that. And when he called you out of that, he saved you in a manner that was transformative. You could tell immediately that God had worked in your life and had taken you from the domain of darkness and he had placed you in the domain of light. And when that happens to you, you're not likely to fall back into that trap of, well, don't do this and don't do that, because you know that you weren't doing anything for God to save you. You were just going along one day and God reached down and called you out. You weren't working your way to him, you are working your way as far away as you could get. But I think for us who were called younger, and we can't point back and say, well, I was deep in sin, I was that wretch that Amazing Grace talked about, and, and God called me out. When we go, well, I was, I was seven, and I, I'd stolen a couple baseball cards and pushed my brother a couple times, but it wasn't that bad. I think it's easy for us to begin getting caught in this idea that there's, there's got to be more. There, there's got to be more I've got to do. It, it seems so simple. How could God save me without me doing anything? How, how could God save me without me trying to earn it? And so Paul says, I'm astonished. Because these people had walked in sin and darkness and God had called them out and they had seen his miraculous work. They had seen the power of the gospel pull them out of the darkness and bring them to the light. And yet they began to accept these other teachings. And he says, I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Friends, we have to remember this. When we begin to put other things in play when it comes to our relationship with God. We're not deserting ourselves. We're not deserting the church. We are deserting the God who has called us by His grace. This term here is basically like we are in the middle of a war and we switch uniforms. And we take up a gun and we begin to shoot back at the people that we once were with. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. If you and I in our lives begin to say that there are other things that it takes, if we begin to put stipulations on God's grace, if we say God would only love me if I do this or do that. What we are doing is deserting God. We are saying, God, I know better than you. We're saying, God, I, I can do this on my own. I got this, God. I'm good. You, thanks for what you did, but I can take it from here. Paul says, we, we can't even take a step without Christ. We can't even move without His guidance. We can't even walk 
as the old song says, without him holding our hand. Paul says we are that dependent on God. And so he's astonished. He's shocked. How is it that you are so quickly deserting him and turning to a different gospel? Verse verse 7, but not that there is another. He, He wants to be very clear. They're turning to something different, and he's calling it a different gospel that's because that's the best word he's got. Because there's not another one. There's, there's not another good news. There's not something else that has the power to save. There's not the gospel and this, the gospel and that. It's, there's the gospel. And, and Paul is, and if you've read much of Paul, this is the shocking part, he's struggling to put it into words that there could be something else. He says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. What was happening is people were coming in and they were trying to get everybody riled up. Because, see, if you look at the religions of this world, when someone starts a religion, they don't normally go out and put someone else in charge. I'm starting a new religion today, and I'm going to put one of you in charge. No. If I start a new religion, I'm going to be at least a prophet, if not a little bit higher. I mean, I want to be, you know, I want the respect, right? Being the leader of a cult and a religion is a pretty good thing. Now, unless you're Jesus, they take you out and crucify you. But everybody else, you get to be in charge of armies, and you get to go and take over countries, and, you know, it's a good thing. He says there's some who have come in and have wanted to do that. They're they're coming in and they're stirring things up. He even says they distort the gospel there. A a better word might even be they pervert the gospel. See, when we hear distort, it's not that shocking. But when we hear pervert, it means a lot more. They're coming in and they're perverting the gospel. They are messing it up. And, And what could be more wrong and more shocking and more vile in the eyes of God than distorting the truth of the gospel. Because once the gospel is changed, it no longer has its power to save. Once it's changed to doing this or doing that and doing this work or doing that work, it no longer can save you from your sin. It no longer can bring you into a relationship with God. It says they're coming in and they're distorting the gospel. They're perverting the gospel. And he says you need to be ready for that. He says you need to be vigilant against that. And church, we have that responsibility. We must defend the gospel in our midst against everything. We must watch ourselves because we can be the quickest to to want to add something to it. And you don't think that we do it in a big way, but, but we look at somebody's life and we see that they've got a problem with their alcoholics. And you see it's destroying their life. You see it's messing up their family. You see that it's, it's hurting their children. It's, just, it's costing them financially. And what do we want to say? Brother, if if you'll get off the booze, it's going to fix the problem. Now we look at it and we go, if you, if you wasn't drinking, he, 
he wouldn't be doing this to his wife, and he wouldn't be treating his like his kids like that, and he'd have money to pay his rent. And but what what's the Bible say? That's exactly what the Bible says. The Bible says what he needs is to be impacted by the gospel. He needs a relationship with Christ. He needs to know that the God of this universe has died on his behalf. Then God begins to fix those other things. But see, that's, we don't feel bad about doing that. It's, it's what the brother needs. It's, it's, what, it's what he needs in his life. But we fail to realize the bigger picture is the gospel is what changes him. The gospel is what transforms the life of the drug addict and the prostitute, the, the wayward teen. It's the gospel that does that. And so Paul says, if someone comes to you preaching a different gospel, he says, let him be accursed. He says, even, in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. If you want to know what accursed means, it means let him be condemned to hell. Paul takes it seriously. It's not just fun and games. It's it's not just a self-help thing. Well, we need them to fix this vice in their life or we need them to fix that problem in their life. What What he says is, if someone, whether it's me, whether it's an angel from heaven, anyone who comes into you and preaches a gospel contrary to what we have preached, let him be condemned to hell. See, the Galatians had seen the power of the true gospel. They had been saved by the power of the true gospel. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, you know what it means to be changed by the power of the gospel. You know what happens when Christ enters into your heart and gives you a heart of flesh, removing the heart of stone. You understand what that means. And when you do, everything else should sound foreign. Everything else should sound wrong. So Paul says, let them be accursed. And he repeats it in verse 9. He says it a second time. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one received, let him be accursed. He says, if anyone should do it in the future, verse 8. If anyone is doing it in the present, verse 9. Let him be accursed. This is a serious matter. And we as the church must guard ourselves against it. I believe as our society becomes more dark, as it becomes a more difficult place for believers to live, it will become much easier to preach a gospel of works. We will look out at the world and we will see the things that people are doing and we will tell them, you need to stop that. You need to stop having that in your life. You need to stop participating in that. And we might very well be right, but it's not the gospel. We'll see people around us who are struggling. And we'll see the need that we have for Christian charity and helping them. But that's not the gospel. Our family is well acquainted at looking 
and those around us who are fatherless and motherless and bringing them into our family, but that's not the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. There'll be people in our society whose marriages are broken, whose families are hurting, and we as a church have the opportunity to speak into their life and help them. But that's not the gospel. See, we do all of those things. We participate in missions. We help the hungry around the world. We, we take care of those around us who are in need. But we do that because the gospel has impacted us not to show them just those things. He says if we preach anything else, let us be accursed. He is serious about the need to protect the gospel. So the question then becomes, for Paul, as he begins, as we'll look at next week in verse 11, going through and talking about how he became an apostle and, and how that factors into this, he, he comes to verse 10 with this transition. And he asks a question. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man... I would not be a servant of Christ. He brings us to this, this tension. On one hand, our desire is to please others around us. Even someone in this room who would say, well, I don't care what other people think. I've been guilty of saying that before. Many of you have probably been guilty of saying that before. Deep down, there's still plenty of people who we know that we want to make happy. We want to please them whether it's our parents or our coworkers or somebody around us. And on the other side is the tension of pleasing God. And Paul says, listen, for me, I couldn't do both. See, Paul, before he became a Christian, was a Pharisee named Saul, religious leader in, in Jerusalem, and he had went around and actually oversaw the killing of Christians. And it made people happy when he did it. I mean, it made the other religious leaders happy. There goes Saul. He is overseeing this persecution. Paul, Saul has went in and he has, he has killed these Christians. He has went in and had these Christians arrested because they are teaching something false. And then one day, Jesus met him face to face. Now notice, I didn't, I didn't say Paul went and met Jesus, but Jesus came and met Paul. Paul was walking on this road, and Jesus appeared, and he was blinded, and Jesus asked him, he said, why are you persecuting? From that moment on, his life was changed. And so, years later, as he is writing this letter, he is thinking about that. When he sought the approval of men, it caused him to go and persecute God's people. But now that he is seeking the approval of God, it has caused him to set things in perspective. It's caused him to make priorities. So the question for us becomes, what are we going to do with what God has called us to? Where are our loyalties going to lie? Because see, if you, if you look at your relationship with God as these things that you've got to do, 
I've got to do this to be good. I've got to do this to be good. I've got to do this to be good. There are going to be a lot of people who look at you and go, that guy right there. Look at him. He's got his life all together. Look at him. He's, he's got everything put together. Look at him. He, he doesn't do any of the things that we're not supposed to do. He must be a good guy. I've been in churches where, where they look at that good guy and they say, hey, let's make him somebody. Let's, let's, let's move him up in the church. He's got his, he's got his life all together. He, he, he never drinks and he never uses profanity and, and he treats his wife good. And, and look at that. Let's, let's make him somebody. But our question becomes, is it all about what we do to make others like us? Is, is it all about what we do to make others look at our life and, and, and look at, at what we're doing and, and pat us on the back? Or, or are we going to look and say, you know, God has, has called me by his grace. And I am still a work in progress. I still mess up. I still fail. But I know that God has called me by His grace. See, what that might mean in a room this size is that there are some of you here who have spent your entire life trying to be good enough. It might be because you've never heard any different. You've been told your whole life, if you'll just be good enough, if you'll just work hard enough, you'll give some money to the church and show up and not do bad things, that's, that's it. And it may have never been presented to you like that, but that's what they were saying. Just be good enough. And if you do that, you might have made a preacher happy, or you might have made some deacons happy, or your Sunday school teacher happy. It, it might make your spouse and your kids happy, but it doesn't make God happy. Because God looks at us. And he sees all of those things that we try to do. He sees all of that work that we try to put in. And you know what it is to him? It's filthy, nasty rags. It's not this glorious thing that we make it out to be. It's not these high and exalted works that we have in our mind. Because, I mean, really, in our own mind, we're all a lot better than we really are. But God looks at it and he goes, no. That's not good enough. And you could ask him, God, what's going to be good enough? He says, Nothing. What do you got to offer me? I'm God. I made everything. I created it. I made you. But when we go, okay, God, what do you, what do you want? He says, he says I, I want to look at you and see Christ. I, I want to look at you and see the blood of my son that was shed on the cross. I don't want to look at you and see these works that you think are going to be good enough. He says, I want you to seek my approval by following after Christ. Now let me promise you this. And when that happens, God is going to look into your life and he's going to say, you're doing this and that and this and it's going to stop. But it won't be because I stood up here and told you to do it. It won't be because your mama pulled you aside and said, Son, you got to do better. Your daddy pulled you aside and whooped your rear end a couple times and said, Do better. 
It'll be because God, when He is dwelling in your heart, says, Son, you don't got to do that anymore. Son, I, I took care of that on the cross. Son, I have, I have made a way for you out of this. I have taken care of this. It's, it's not your burden anymore. I've taken it on. And so Paul asks the question, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Friends, this morning, there's some of you here who, who, who don't know Jesus. You, you don't have a relationship with him. You, you've got a relationship with a church or a building or a relationship with some religion that is telling you to be good enough. But if you're here this morning, and that's you, that's the relationship you have, how often does it pop into your mind, I'm not good enough? How often does it pop in your mind, I need to do better? I, I got I to gotta do more. See, for me all, all the time, it pops into my head that I'm not good enough. I mean, all the time. But when it does, I can turn back to this book, and I can read that I am correct. I am not good enough. But Christ is. See, if, if everything's based on you doing something good and, and you being good enough, then every time that thought pops into your head, the next thought is, okay, what do I need to do better? The next thought is, what, what can I, I need to do something more. Uh, maybe I can increase my giving. Maybe I can go to more church stuff. Maybe I can be nicer to people. Maybe I need to give up this bad habit. See, when that thought pops in my head, God reminds me of His grace. He reminds me that He has paid it all. That He has come down into this world. He left His place in heaven. He was born in a manger he grew into a man who was sinless. A man who performed miracles. A man who walked on the water. A man who raised the dead and healed the blind. A man who was arrested, tried, and crucified. A man who on the third day, God rose from the dead. A man who God raised up who ascended back to his right hand where he sits beside the Father even today. That sounds a lot better than the bad stuff I'm going to give up. The people I'm going to try to be nicer to. The money that I could put in the offering plate. The church services that I could attend. The Bible tells us that we have been saved by grace through faith. This morning, if you're here and for a long time you've just tried to, to do it yourself, you've tried to put stock in your own life, you've tried to, to build up something that God will be proud of, let me tell you, He will not. Because He's already done the one and only thing that it takes. And so if you're here this morning and you don't know Him, why would you not Cry out to him, God, take, take these burdens off my life. 
God, take this away from me. God, God, give them to Christ. He's already taken care of them. He's already dealt with them on the cross. Why would you continue to do it yourself? In just a moment, we're going to have a song, I think. I don't know the schedule. I'm new. But we're going to have a song, and you're going to have the opportunity to come. Maybe you're going to come and you have never trusted in Christ. I want to tell you how. It's not complicated. God knew that we were not very smart. And he made it awfully easy. But probably more of you are here and you say, I've I've been saved by God's grace, but I am awfully guilty of trying to put other things there as well. You know, the religious leaders... What they, they had God's law, and what they did to make sure that they didn't sin is they set parameters around God's law. So, so that you would never get here and break this law, they would keep you way over here. You remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Good, not difficult, but don't walk anywhere on Saturday because you don't want to break God's law. We as Baptists like to do that too. We as Baptists, we like to to fence everything around and try to keep everybody back from ever doing anything wrong. And what God calls us to do is experience His grace. If you're here this morning and you know Christ, but you also know that you have a tendency to bring other things in and say these things are important when it's the gospel that's most important, would you come this morning? Would you pray that God would... God would take that thought in your heart and he would condemn it to hell. That he would take it out of your heart and that he would place it so far away that it could never come back. If you don't know him, I want to show you how, but if that's you, would you come pray with me this morning? Would you come pray as I pray for that in my life? Because I promise that when we do, God is going to do transformative things in our life. When the gospel is our priority, God is going to work. Would you come this morning as we get ready to sing? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, you're so good. You're so gracious to us. Your mercy abounds. God, I, I believe there are those here this morning who don't know you. God, I, I pray that, that I have articulated your gospel. God, I pray that you would speak into their heart, that you would call them to respond. God, that you would save them today. Lord God, many of us here are so guilty of wanting to place other things as priority. We're we're so guilty of wanting other things as a test of what you have done. Other things that must be evident in our life before we can come to you when you have said that it's by your grace. It's the good news that that you have given us life. God, for those this morning who, who fall into that category, God, myself included, help us to, to bury that thought so far away that it never creeps back into our heart. God, take it from us. God, and destroy it this morning. 
God, help us to respond to your love and your mercy as we sing. God, as I pray in Christ's name, amen. Would you come this morning and listen to what God has called us to as we sing? This is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I hope this week you'll think about the grace that has saved you. The grace that God has done in your life. It's exciting this morning for me. It's a good first Sunday. We can keep this trend up if you want. Holly Richardson has come this morning to unite uh, with our church uh, in, uh, in membership, uh, coming professing Christ and having been baptized and wanting to move her letter uh, from North Dakota. <laughs> it's a long drive between here and there, but she's going she's gonna to make it, be a trooper. Uh, but we're glad that she has come and uh, do that, and I understand this will be looked at at the business meeting in a few weeks, and I, I guess I need to fill one of these out too. Uh, I suppose uh, my wife and I are coming to join, so, uh, so uh, like nine new people on your first Sunday, it's a great, it's a great record. But I hope, uh, as I challenged you last week, invite somebody to church. You know, we, we, I'm new. I don't know most of your names. I especially don't know the names of the people out there, but you do. Some of you this week have already shared with me people who are on your heart, people who you know don't know Christ. You are possibly the only means by which they will ever hear the gospel. Through your life and through your words. And so I hope this week, as God impresses them upon your heart, you'll hear things like, I'm not good enough to go to church. You can amen that one all day, because you're not either. But God has called you. So remember that this week. Um, I hope you have a blessed week. I hope you're planning to stay for Sunday school and for lag group. And I hope that you'll let God use you richly as you go back out into the world and you see the needs of the people around you.
anyone uh, worked on the parsonage, if you will, please stand up. I think all these folks know by now that God loved them no more when they were working on that parsonage, and he loves us no less for those of us who didn't take that opportunity. But uh, we want to take some time uh, to let you know that this was a four- to five-week project, and Teresa Sanders uh, was the leader of this project. And so we as a church, for those of you who didn't join in with you and jump in beside of you, we just want to take a moment and say thank you uh, very much for that. Now you can go get your shoes on. Um, for our other announcements this morning, um, today's deadline to sign up for the Easter drama. Today is the last day, so please see Miss Audrey. Uh, also, uh, Team Kids Leaders Meeting will be at uh, this evening at 445. And if you look at your bulletin too, Team Kids also needs another teacher. Uh, said that they have uh, a co-worker there uh, that will help you, but they do need another uh, teacher leader uh, for that. Uh, also, Women on Mission, it says in our uh, bulletin that you will meet at Granny's uh, on March the 2nd, 8 o'clock. Actually, you're going to meet here first, and then you're going to go over. Um, spring uh, and summer consignment sale, probably just need to see uh, Kim Atkins to register for that. Uh, dates and time, uh, consignment sale workers needed. Please see Miss Kelly. I think I saw her running around this morning with a uh, little sign-up sheet. She is probably... Uh, volunteering you for you. Also the business meeting, uh, Wednesday, March 6th at 6.30. Now, youth barbecue, uh, a scant two weeks away. And uh, if you would like to uh, get tickets for that, to sell tickets, please uh, see Brother Mike uh, orders in the back or Ned Beck, uh, either to volunteer or to uh, sell tickets. Guys, I just want to reiterate something that uh, Pastor Michael said. The youth barbecue fund uh, is a great thing. And we'll use that money to do a lot of things uh, with the youth, uh, to go out on mission trips. But that is not the gospel. I hope that when they come to eat barbecue, barbecue ain't the gospel. I like, the, I like barbecue a lot. Now, that's saying a whole lot for me because I like missing barbecue. But it's not the gospel. But I hope that when they come to the consignment sale, they'll hear the gospel. When they come to the barbecue, they'll hear the gospel. But they'll also see a picture of the gospel as well. So Brother Fess is to my left, and I'm guessing he got something else. Yes, sir. Sign-ups on the red, on the white table beside the red basket, not the Carolina blue basket. I just wanted to take just a couple minutes this morning to tell you that the leadership team's at work. I also wanted to thank Teresa. Uh, those of you that drove by know that we moved into the parsonage for a little while, uh, but she done everything she knew to do to make it not a house but a home. Uh, and I hope that the, the Dr. Michael and his Rachel and the children have found it to be that. Uh, and that's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, things worked pretty well for a while. We're just about doing what the, the Constitution and the bylaws tell us we need to do. So if you've got problems, just bring them to us and let us see if we can take care of them and not to bother Dr. Michael with so many little things that maybe we can handle on our own or in-house. Uh, for goodness sakes, if you see little things that needs doing and you can do it, do it. Don't bring it to anybody, just fix it. Uh, I thank you for all that's going on so far. We've uh, done pretty well, and I want to talk just a minute about the business meeting. We told you in the uh, winter meeting, the last meeting in the budget, that 
was going to try to do stuff a little different. So I'm going to ask you now to be thinking about people you want to serve on leadership of the church. In order for us to have time to pray about them and talk to them and get everything in order, we need to know. So we're going to ask you at that business meeting to give us nominations for people that you feel like needs to be in the leadership positions of the church. We'll give you a list and just a short description of the four major teams that we're responsible for filling. And just like I say, if you want to put their names in the slot four position, we'll consider them for that. But pray about and think about who you want to lead. Uh, we're also going to have to see if we can't find some people to, to look at our Constitution and bylaws. We probably need to come to the 21st century with them. Uh, some of the stuff is really bad, and it, we'll ask you a little of that stuff at that meeting, too. Uh, we need to look at some guidelines and some building use policy. There's a lot of stuff that needs changing. Uh, I promise you we don't want to do everything at once, so we're going to take it a step at a time, just like eating an elephant, one bite at a time, and try to get it all behind us. So uh, voice your opinion. Tell us what you think so we can process that information and, and make good policy for for the things that's going to happen in the future. There's going to be security issues, so we're going to talk about rekeying the building and who needs keys and who doesn't need keys and, and how much we want to spend on security. You know, maybe we want to go to some kind of card system with an electronic lock, you know, whatever. But, you know, we, we need to, to get with you and find out how important security is to you. Uh, you know, it, I promise you we do all we can but, you know, it, we need to know. So, again, just like I say, I thank you for the cooperation we've had in the past. Look forward to the cooperation we've had in the future. And just want to be perfectly honest with you, I, I give Dr. Michael a six-month free pass. I told him anything he didn't want to answer to send to me. So you can just cut him plumb out and come straight to me and save him some time. If you've got spiritual problems, if you need counseling, by all means, call him. If you've got financial problems or difficulties, by all means, call your deacon before it gets to be a crisis. If you just need somebody to talk to, call anybody. They'll talk to you. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you, Father, that, that we can always call you, Father. And Father, we thank you, Father, that if we are so pleased, Father, if if we'll draw near to you, that it's always a local call. Father, I thank you for this place, Father, for the excitement, Father. I, I thank you for Dr. Michael and Rachel and the children, Father. I, I pray for their time here, Father. A fruitful time, Father. And Father, I pray for all that's going on. I just praise you, Father, and I thank you and I love you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. One more thing I was about to forget. We're going to have a sunrise service. But it's got the same tagline that I gave you last year. Invite your friends for the 9 o'clock service because that's the ones they'll come to. You won't get very many people to come in at 7 o'clock in the morning to hear preaching. So that service will be for us. We'll have biscuits afterward and then we'll have a regular schedule after that. So by all means, invite people and plan on staying for that service because that's the service where the gospel is shared. Thank you and you're dismissed.